since, uh, since we arrived this morning, I feel like the Holy Spirit has been present in a very powerful way. And I'm going to stop here this morning and just do something that uh, may not, you know, I know the Lord's asking us to do this, but here's what I'd like you to do before we continue in the message. I feel like the Lord's been putting a real strong urge in my heart to give you the chance today to, uh, to just say, you know what, Lord, I, I need that hope in my life. There may be somebody here this morning that has never had the chance to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. You've never had an opportunity to say, you know what, I'd like you to come in and forgive my sin, and from this day forward I want to live for you. So, so here's what I'm going to have you do today. If that's something God's telling you to do, <laughs> would you stand? And We'd love to pray for you. I know that's tough, and I'm not sure why God's asking me to do that, but, and it may be for another reason, but if you just feel like this morning through the worship time, God's saying, I, I need to make that commitment, would you stand? Holy Spirit, you're here. You are speaking, and we're listening. And I pray for those who've stood today. And I pray that you would fill them with your hope and your courage and your joy and your peace and your strength and your correction when needed. But Lord, that you will just in a new and powerful way fill them. Thanks, Lord. In your awesome name we pray. Amen. Those of you who know me know that now is my struggle to get back into the normal. I'll get there. We're talking this morning about a, a church in Revelation that, that's, that's very intriguing. The first church was a church at Ephesus. And it's, uh, uh, it's a, it was a famous church. The church today is Smyrna. Remember with me that, that in the second chapter, verses 1 to 7, we talked to a church that had lost their first love. I look at a busy group of people, I look at myself, and I say, man, this is something that, uh, that I can relate to, because I have so many things I want to get done, and I, I just start filling my time, and my priorities are always centered around getting things accomplished. And then, and then John, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, in his vision from God, says, this is what Jesus told you, Ephesus, you've lost your first love. The group at Smyrna were an interesting group. I call this not a letter, but a postcard of encouragement. This is a postcard where when... when Jesus looks at this church in Smyrna, and it's today, it's the only, of the seven churches, it's the only one that's still in existence. It's called Izmir, and it's in Turkey, and if you've ever gone to the Holy Land, which if you haven't, I would highly recommend it. It's awesome. There is one part of a tour where they do the seven churches, and it's fascinating just to see kind of where, where all that took place and all the history out of the Bible, and, and it, lovely, uh, I mean, lovely opportunity. That's not a great phrase. It's an awesome opportunity. Lovely works for ladies. Okay, anyway, so ladies, it'll be lovely for you guys. It'll be awesome for you. But, but one of the things that we find about Smyrna is they are in a very unique time of their life. So Smyrna, real quickly, um, we're going we're to start there. Is a, uh, it's a church of 200,000 in the day when, when John shared this vision. Had an amazing harbor. And commerce was amazing. In fact, in their harbor, they prided themselves in being able to close it off to protect their city so it was well known. And uh, they... Uh, they were so fascinated with the government of Rome that they built one of the, one of the most amazing temples to worship Caesar of all, all people. 
and Caesar was so important to them. In fact, some of the, the commentators, some of the writers of those days called it a cult of Caesar. They had an amazing library. They had an amazing stadium. They had an amazing theater, and, and they were very wealthy. And while they were wealthy, they kind of prided themselves in, in really centering around the finer things of life, and that was Smyrna. And we find this group of people who are living in Smyrna, who are, and, and it's interesting because in just a minute we're going to look, if you have your, your Bibles, look at Revelation 2, we're going to look at verses 8 through 11. And what we see is a group of faithful, hardworking, dedicated people who love Christ, but who are getting no help from the city. In fact, what we find out is they're, they're excluded from businesses. They are, uh, nobody will hire them. Everybody's put them in an area where they are looked down upon because of really one thing that they did. They decided to say, hey, I love you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. And I'm willing to live for you no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is. Let me just stop this morning and, and ask you this question. Can you and I say that statement today? Everything that we face that's tough, and some of us are in the midst of incredible struggles and incredible suffering and some incredible pain. Are you able to say, Lord, you are, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And it, it takes precedence over everything that I'm going through. Or are you willing to go, man, I'm, I'm a little worried. So there were two things going on in that, uh, in that city that, that, were kind of, that kind of had its, uh, kind of worked against the Christians. The first one was, there was a group of Jewish leaders who looked at this group of Christians and said, why are you following this criminal, this peasant who died on a cross, and you're saying that he made all these changes in life, and we look at him as a criminal. Some of them felt like because he died on a cross, he belonged there. And because they looked at it, they labeled him as a criminal. They said, nobody that we want to follow, nobody that claims to be connected to God would be a criminal dying on a cross. And you and I know, or hopefully we know, that that his death on a cross and resurrection made the difference for you and me. The second thing they didn't like was the fact that this, this petty little group of followers were suddenly so attractive. They would share, they would say, hey, uh, you need to know Jesus, he'll change your life, he'll give you hope. And suddenly, right out of the synagogue, the very place that they revered, the very area that they said nobody can touch because we worship the truth, they were stepping out of the synagogue and saying, hey, we want to know Jesus. We want to know who this man is. We want to be able to say, I want him to come into my life and my heart and forgive me and, and take me from this point on and give me that hope and that joy that I see in this group of believers. But that little sect of leadership said no, and it really bothered them. And yet, this group was faithful. I, I'm pretty sure this morning, I say pretty sure, that none of us have ever been put to the, to, the place in our lives where we were going to experience death if we didn't follow the Lord. And that was the other thing that happened to the, the group at Smyrna. There's a couple things that I want to give to you today. I've kind of changed my outline, and Alyssa, you've already figured that out by now. But one of the things that I want you to know is that, that Smyrna was, was a group of people who truly understood what it meant to follow the Lord, who truly understood that their blessings, he said in, in the, the verse, in fact, uh, let's jump to uh, Revelation 2, let's go verses 8 and 9 this morning as we look at that. And we see that what he's telling us is, persecution, poverty, publicly being slandered, prison and potential death. Those were all things that came. And here's what he says in 8 and 9. These are the words of him who was the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and they're not, but are a synagogue of Satan. 
what we see this morning is he begins to realize that, that where they're living is really difficult. They were persecuted. They were afflicted. There was a constant pressure. It was being exerted on them due to persecution from these people. I looked up one definition of persecuted and it said it was like a huge rock which seems to crush whatever lies beneath it. Because they chose to follow Christ, ridicule and scorn, mental and emotional pressure, everything was around them. Second, they experienced poverty. Think with me, this group of Christ followers had nothing and they were treated horribly because they professed Jesus Christ as their Lord. These people loved Jesus and had nothing. Third, they experienced public slander, being publicly slandered. From all over they were being slandered, but even harder for them was that group of Jewish leaders that claimed they had the truth. Next month we're starting a grow track. And in that grow track we're going to take four Sundays. First we're going to do 9 o'clock service in February, then we're going to do the 10.30 service in in, uh, March. And we want to give you the chance to know the truth that you live by. You see, I believe that the world is looking for us to step out and to say, here's what I believe, here's who I follow, here's why I love him, and here's what he can do for you. And a lot of us are so afraid and so intimidated to say anything, we just sit back and quietly live our lives when there are people that God brings time and time again into our lives to be able to share our stories. Let me tell you, if you want to have some interesting conversations, be a pastor. Because people automatically limit, or they label you as you're going to either be a know-it-all or you're going to be so annoyingly argumentative you're never going to get anywhere or they're going to just think that, you bless your heart, you're just kind of simple and you don't really understand life and reality hasn't hit you and you don't really believe in the truth, but you're, you're a good guy, you know, you're going to say these things. And If we truly want to step into a world that wants to know who Jesus is, we've got to know the truth. Fourth, they, they face potential prison and death. Wrap your minds around it with me this morning on facing death for what you believe. Live in such a life of poverty that it'll be difficult for you. When I was first in Oregon City, I got the chance to travel with then Northwest Medical Teams and a group of pastors from our conference. We went to Mexico City and then we went to Oaxaca. And while we were in Mexico City, we visited a garbage dump where three generations of families had lived and existed and continued to raise their kids. And there was a little group of Christian moms who blessed me tremendously because they were so faithful. And they took their kids and, and oh my goodness, I mean, if I think about it, it it brings me to tears. It's a, and I know that surprises you, but it's a a powdery substance from the dump that smelled just terrible. They lived there every day. And these moms would have their little kids on little uh, strings attached to a wire. And these little kids were happy and they were playing in that powder. And they took what was in the dump and they, they, they kind of rummaged through it and they sold it so they could buy bread and food for their families. Three generations. And yet these moms loved Jesus. So we stepped in there and we had our little responsibilities. I got to be a part of a class that showed them how to have, feed their kids nutritionally. And I remember that my wife made me take, she likes me to get rid of all my old t-shirts, which bummed me. I had all some fun camp t-shirts, and I took a bunch of them down there. And these moms said, hey, give them to our husbands. So I took a picture of these seven dads who all had my shirts on. And here's the amazing thing. It was 9 o'clock in the morning, and all seven of them were drunk. Because that's the life they'd chosen to live. And yet, here are these faithful moms desiring to love Jesus and claim Him as their Lord. And we've got, and I'm not going to get on my soapbox, we've got comfortable seats in a theater. We're not challenged that way. 
And here's this group in Smyrna, the second church. They get this postcard from, from the Lord saying, I want to encourage you. Because as you go through suffering and pain and struggle, do you think anything is ever going to turn out to where it's going to be right? Is anybody going to listen to you? Is anybody going to say, I love you? He said, I, and this is what God said to him, I understand. I can identify. I've been there. His comforting words caught the attention of the Christians. Do you ever feel this morning like you suffer because you aren't good enough? Or aren't where, where you should be in your walk, and that's why it's happening to you, so you have this guilt, and you go through life, and the suffering continues to come back because you just feel like, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And this is what Jesus said to the Smyrna people and what he's saying to you and I this morning. I love you. I'm with you. I'm here for you. Verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. He says, be fearless in whatever the world may throw at you. Fear is an amazing motivating factor. I won't take long this morning, but, but fear drives you and me to do things that we, we've never thought of. And as we get afraid, it causes us not to live for Jesus. The, the story that comes to mind is uh, when we were at Oregon City Evangelical, my kids were the lockup crew every night. And I ended up doing a lot of it for him because it was late at night. And my job was to go through and, and uh, check all the rooms, check all the bathrooms, make sure the heat was down, turn all the lights off, and make sure all the doors were closed and locked. There was one part of the church, and sadly I stand in front of you this morning telling you that I knew that it was this way, but there were these two doors that when you went into one, and as you came back out one or the other, when the doors would close, it would force the pressure to close the doors. Okay, all on your own. So it was 11.30 at night. This is fear, and I walked in in a hurry, and when I went in the first one, I checked all the lights, and when I walked out the other one, checked all the lights, and as I'm walking down the, the door, the door closes, and I think somebody's there. And I start screaming, and run, I, I've never moved so fast from the youth room to the offices. I've never run that fast. Money. I thought somebody was there until I got to the office, and I realized, oh, that's just the door closing. Fear does weird things to us. It does weird things to me. But, but I, what he tells us today is that be fearless. Some of us are caught in a cycle of life that we never thought we would live in. And we struggle with that because we are, we are suffering. And I want you to hear me today say very clearly that as you look at the church in Smyrna or in Izmir today in Turkey, you realize that what God's saying to you and me today is, I love you. I have a plan for you. I have hope for you. And it, it centers around doing what we just did a minute ago, standing up and saying, God, I need you. And that's what he's asking us to do. And, and these Christians were, they were good people. They were hardworking people. Some of the verses around fear, I like the one, Psalm 56, 3 and 4, two verses, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Isaiah 12, 2 says, I will trust in you and not be afraid. Is that where you're living today? Is fear driving what you do and what you say and how you respond and how you react to other people? The second thing he says is be faithful in your trust of Christ. James 1.12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Christ tells us to be faithful. Remember what the Apostle Paul wrote in prison. Philippians 3.10 and 11, if I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of, suffer, of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. 
This letter of Smyrna stands out to me because of the grace and mercy extended from Christ to a group that was faithfully following him and didn't need correction, but words of encouragement. This morning, would you allow the Holy Spirit to encourage you? Can you sense his desire to love you and forgive you and to stand beside you? In Smyrna, there was a group of people that, that struggled mightily in the area of persecution. One of them is a, a gentleman by the name of Polycarp, who you've heard, maybe heard of. Polycarp was written in Eusebius. He's a historical, historical writer in those days. I think Fox's Book of Martyrs has him in there in a story. But one of the things about Polycarp that I want to share with you this morning as we, we end our time together is that he was a man who loved Jesus. He was a, a respected pastor in the area. And this group of little tiny, little tiny group of people came to him and said, Polycarp, if you would renounce your faith in Christ, we will let you live. If you renounce the fact that you believe in this so-called Jesus who died on a cross, who was a criminal, and who really has no saying in truth, you will live. And Polycarp said, and, and what he did was, he, he kind of did it twofold. He said to him, I will not renounce my faith. And I want to challenge you to come to know the truth in Jesus. Well, you know and I know that anytime you talk to somebody that thinks they know the truth and you tell them they don't know the truth, what's their response? They're angry. He went back to his home, and while he was at home, he got a vision from the Lord and said, Polycarp, they're going to come and get you. You will not die. You will not be consumed by fire at the stake. Sure enough, here came the soldiers a few days later. They took Polycarp in, in the arena in front of all the people. They tied him to a stake. They lit all the wood around it in fire, and the fire would not consume Polycarp. He did not die until one of the soldiers took a spear and threw it at him and stabbed him and killed him. And as I thought about it, even in first service, I said, to me, if the Lord says I'm not going to die by fire, that means I'm going to live. So you kind of go, yeah. But what it said to Polycarp was, I'm with you even to the point of death. And I'm willing to stand beside you and to encourage you and to help you. And so here's this group of Christians who saw that going on time and time again, and they were faithful. And we live in Oregon, in the United States of America. And we're upset about the fact that, and I talked to somebody this morning, and I said, how about that gloomy week? The rain and the grayness. And we're looking at a group of people that said, we love Jesus so much that we will serve him faithfully in the midst of persecution and slandering, and the potential of prison. That was the group. The thing that I, I think about this morning is that uh, he talks to us in the 11th verse about being overcomers. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. The promise that Christ gives to those people and he gives to us is we will live in heaven forever. We're promised heaven. As overcomers, we will not experience hell and the punishment that follows because he tells us that that's his promise to us as we faithfully live for him. Be an overcomer. Be an overcomer. Be faithful. Be, be fearless. Be faithful. And, and as you do that, learn that, that what, what he's saying to you is, you know what, I'm going to give you that hope. So let me just finish by saying this this morning, and I will finish. I said closing, and now I'm closing. You know how, Pastor, at the end, and then 10 minutes later, they're still going. If God's asking you to be an overcomer today, and He's sharing with you, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, and I believe He's been speaking all morning, then I want you to respond to Him. Because what happens is, is we get so caught up in our suffering and our struggle and our pain, we let the enemy do exactly what he wants to do. He puts us in neutral, and we go nowhere. 
He fills us with guilt and we do nothing. He fills us with uncertainties and we begin to look everywhere but where God wants us to, which is the truth of his word and the fellowship that he gives us. And then the other thing we don't do is we don't seek the fellowship of people who believe so we can, be, we can encourage, get encouragement from them and turn around and step into a world and encourage other people. Be fearless and be faithful. Would you pray with me? Thanks for being present this morning, Lord. Thank you for uh, talking to each one of us. Holy Spirit, you know exactly where we're living. You know the situations we're in. You know the struggles we have. You know the things that, that we allow our minds sometimes to just push us into a corner. And so today, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to allow us to be fearless and to be faithful. And as we live for you, we will give you those things that, that we're struggling with, and you will bring victory to us as we see you at work. Thanks for your love. Thanks for the joy of coming and gathering together. Thanks for every person that's here. You brought all of us here for a reason, and we're excited for that. It's in your awesome name we pray. Amen.